Well, good morning, Mendham Hills Community Church. My name is Mike DeLuca. I'm the youth pastor here, and I have the privilege of giving you the post-Christmas message, the last sermon of the year 2020. And as I was praying and studying and asking God, God, what do you want me to preach on this time? I came across this passage in Luke chapter 2, the story of what happened shortly after the birth of Jesus. Now, some of you know the earlier part of Luke chapter 2 because we hear Linus recite it to us each year when we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. The rest of the chapter is, is just as intriguing as you'll soon see, but I was debating what to say to you. I thought, well, should I tell them something like, 2020 will be a year of breakthrough for you. It will be the best year that you've ever experienced. Things that have held you back in 2020 will be removed. 2021 will be a year of plenty, a blessing, of glory, of everything that you have sought for and fought for, you will experience in 2021. I think words like that will likely be spoken over the next few weeks throughout the world. I think they are words that you and I hope come true. My response to a message like that a few years ago would have been, amen, yes, please. The problem is that I would receive that word at the beginning of every year. It was definitely said about this year, 2020, back in January, but it wasn't that great a year. Thinking about it for me, 2016 wasn't that great a year either. 2015 was just okay. 2014 was supposed to be my year, and it didn't happen. I'm still waiting for my year. Now, I think that if you're like me, we cling to words and messages like 2021 will be your year because we're frustrated with the conditions of our lives. I mean, come on. If there were ever a time to grumble about a year or justify our poor moods, all you have to say when someone asks you what's bothering you is 2020. We want things to change. Who doesn't? We want something new and we're desperate for something different, and so we clamor for someone to tell us that things are going to be different. I could stand up here and, and tell you that the year 2021 is going to be the best year of your life, the best year you've ever had, or that, hey, at least it'll be better than the year you just had. But here's the problem. I don't know. I don't know what 2021 holds for me, let alone for you. But one thing I do know is that God will be with you just like he was in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 because he does not move. See, so many of us replace hope with something different. Oftentimes we have this idea that when we hear words like 2021 will be your year, we're holding on to hope. Or at least we think we're holding on to hope, but what we're actually doing is we're coveting the future. We're not happy with what's going on right now, and so we want to believe that it's going to be better, and so we're coveting something in the future. When I just get to that place financially, when I just get to that place relationally, when I just get to that place educationally, when I don't have to worry about COVID-19, I don't have to wear a mask anymore, when I can hug my mom, my dad, my grandparent, my friend, when I don't have to worry about being socially shamed if I happen to get COVID, when I can hang out with people when I want and how I want, when things can go back to normal. Then my life will be better. Then my life will feel complete. 2021, here I come. I know a lot about coveting the future. I'm a professional coveter of the future. I used to have this belief that it would be better, 
When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to get to college. College is just going to be the answer to everything. And then you go to college and you're like, I just can't wait to get out of college and get a job so I can have more than a few dollars in my bank account. And then you get a job, and then for most of us in America, we end up coveting retirement. We always seem to want that elusive thing in the future. So if you're anything like me, and if you're honest, you might be coveting the future. And the problem with that is that's the thing that will never satisfy you, no. And so the thing that you're looking for, the satisfied life, will only be found by waiting on God. So I think that there are three keys to waiting on God. Are you ready for the first one? Here's the payoff pitch. Key number one to waiting on God. Don't covet the future. I think that God wants something different for you, better for you. Don't covet the future because you will never find what you're looking for there. You will find what you're looking for, the satisfied life, by waiting on God. But not just doing nothing, standing off to the side. Wait like a kid waits on Christmas morning with anticipation. And what you just celebrated this last month, this whole month Christmas season is one of waiting and it's traditionally called the season of Advent. Whether you knew it or not, you just went through the season of Advent. And the word Advent means coming in Latin. It's the period of four Sundays before Christmas Advent is the season of waiting and preparing for the real reason of Christmas, like Linus says, the coming of Jesus into the world. And some of you might recall that Pastor Dave Jansen opened the season of Advent with a sermon on waiting, and so I I thought it appropriate to bookend the season on it as well. Now I know that sounds like, well, Mike, that's the best you got. Well, it's, it's not waiting like the way you and I think of waiting. When you and I think of a waiting, we think about waiting on a phone call with a customer service rep, waiting in line to check out at the store, or waiting in traffic. But waiting in Scripture is a very different thing. The Scriptures in the Old Testament use a word for waiting. The Hebrew word for waiting is kava. And Pastor Dave told you that kava is spinning thread, the deliberate work and effort it takes to not put your brain in neutral, but to be centered in the presence of God. And kava also means to look for, to hope, to expect, to trust. Waiting is like kids waiting for, anticipating Christmas. You just had Christmas morning, so whether you're a grandparent, a parent, student, kid, there was probably some level of anticipation going into that morning. I don't know about you, but growing up in the DeLuca household, Christmas morning was highly anticipated. The weeks leading up to it, I would search very sneakily for where my mom would hide the presents. I knew where she hid them, in my parents' closet. So I'd go up there and rummage through the stuff that she'd put on top of them. Yes, mom, I knew your tricks. And I'd look for the gifts with my name on it. And and as the days leading up to Christmas came, my parents would slowly trickle a gift or two under the tree. And then my sisters and I would get really excited with anticipation. But we knew not even to bother with even asking to open them early because we knew the answer. Parents, no, we had to wait. Today we're going to learn from two people who knew a lot about waiting, who really exemplify living in anticipation for the advent, for the coming of Christ. 
Two witnesses who are waiting their whole lives, who are longing and hoping to see the promised Messiah. Two believers who definitely will see Jesus and will testify he is who he says he is and that he is worth waiting for. So let's read their story in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And when he came, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to, the, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Luke is telling us here that this scene is taking place about 40 days after the birth of Christ. Under the law, there is a set amount of time that a mother, after she gives birth, is ceremonially unclean. And so Mary's time of being unclean, ceremonially, is drawing to a close, and Mary and Joseph are making their way to the temple to make this sacrifice to the Lord and to present Jesus at the temple. And so for us today, we might think of it as a baby dedication ceremony. The only thing that's a little out of the ordinary is the offering they're bringing because if we turn back to Leviticus chapter 12, we'd see that the prescribed offering is a, is a lamb. But if you're poor, then you can bring two doves or two pigeons. So Luke is telling us that Mary and Joseph are poor. But this was normal in the Jewish society. Every mom would be making a trip like this in accordance with the law to the temple to present a lamb or some doves to make the sacrifice and then go back to living everyday life. And so we're going to try to imagine what this must have been like for Mary and Joseph there on their, their way to Jerusalem from Bethlehem, which is about six miles or so away. And, and they, of course, they walked or they traveled by donkey. Okay, let's, let's keep reading and see what happens. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Whenever the Bible says a man is righteous and devout, you know he's righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So now we meet Simeon, and, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning he's waiting for the promised Messiah. His kavah, his anticipation, was that he would see Messiah. Israel was going through a difficult time. They were under the foot of Rome. Pastor John a few weeks ago preached about that, and they were a people subjected to much abuse and therefore longing to be freed from that. And so the idea was that the Messiah would come in and kick out the Romans and restore autonomous reign to the Jewish people in Palestine. So Simeon was waiting for this, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he saw Messiah, literally see Messiah. That's a promise. That's something that he had to wait for. He lived his whole life for, and he was an old man anticipating what day would be the day he gets to see Messiah. Now, of course, he doesn't know it's going to happen at the temple, and he doesn't even know who Mary and Joseph are, and he probably doesn't expect the Messiah to be revealed as a baby, but this is the moment he's been waiting for his entire life. Think about the anticipation that's been going on inside of him. Every morning that this guy wakes up, he's got to be asking the question, is, is today the day, Lord? 
Are you, are you going to fulfill your promise to me today? Do I get to see the Messiah today? Okay, maybe not today. It's, maybe it's tomorrow. Is tomorrow the day, God? And there's a very important key point here. The key to waiting on God, anticipating, expecting God, is waiting with God. See, you and I, we don't do great with that. If I'm standing in line for more than 12 seconds, I start tapping my foot, looking around, checking my phone, and wondering if they're going to get more help so they can help me. How do we wait with God? Here's the key to waiting number two. Stop looking for what comes next. Instead, look for how God fulfills his promises to you. How has he How has God fulfilled his promises for you? Well, what are some of those promises? Well, I can tell you what. He doesn't promise you. He doesn't promise you an easy, struggle-free life. In fact, quite the opposite. He doesn't promise us wealth and riches. He doesn't promise that your children will be perfect. Parents, are you listening? He doesn't promise that your parents will be perfect. Students, are you listening? None of those things. What does he promise you? That he'll never leave nor forsake you. He'll work all things together for your good, his glory. He'll be gracious and merciful to you that if you seek him with all of your heart, he will be found by you. And the list goes on. But let's look at Simeon. I mean, he must have been hoping that those Romans would get kicked out by the Messiah. But Simeon is a wonderful example of waiting with God because he remembers God's promise to him and he was anticipating it. He was seeking God, literally, and he found him. If you want to find the thing that you're looking for, the satisfied life, then wait with God like Simeon did by looking for how God is fulfilling his promises to you. And let's look at what happens with Simeon in verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, that's Mary and Joseph, they brought Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Imagine this scene, Mendem. Simeon walks into the temple. Here's Mary and Joseph. They have no idea what's going on and they're trying to figure this all out. And this random guy, Simeon, comes up and snatches baby Jesus and begins to prophesy these words over him. And look at what he says. The first thing he says is, you fulfilled your promise to me, O God. This is the one. There's the fulfilled promise. But then the second thing he does is he gives an insight into it. He says, this baby is not just for the glory of Israel, but to all the world. See, the Gentiles is anyone that is non-Jewish. That's all of us, you and me. And he's prophesying that Jesus would not just be the Messiah to Jewish people, but the Savior of all. So you can imagine Mary and Joseph's response. I mean, they marveled about that. And, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, now watch this. You love it when a prophet, you know, has a generic word, but when the prof- a prophet looks you in the eye and says, I have a word for you, that gets a little un- un- unnerving. <laughs> And here's what Simeon says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The fall of those who love power and religion, the the rising of those who seek redemption and salvation. 
and for a sign that is opposed. Now watch this. Here's the personal word for Mary. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The most touching moment in the movie The Passion of the Christ is when Christ is carrying the cross toward Golgotha and falls. As I read that verse, that's what I was thinking about. What Mary must have been thinking. And as Mary witnesses this and has a flashback to seeing him fall as a child in that movie, and to be a mother is to resign yourself that when you give birth, your heart will forever walk outside your body. Could you imagine Simeon prophesying something that would happen just 33 years later as Mary bore witness to Christ giving his life on the cross? Imagine what she had to go through. Imagine what she was now waiting for. I'm not a parent yet, but I can't imagine what it would be like to see my son being abused and mocked be helpless to do anything about it. I can't imagine what it'd be like seeing my son crucified on a cross knowing that I cannot help him. There's no doubt in my mind that Mary's heart is going to be pierced. But maybe what's worse for Mary is that she knows who Jesus is. She knows that God fulfills his promises and now she has to wait with God, with anticipation for the day that Israel denies the promised one. Why? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there's another promise. Here's what Mary devotes her whole life to, what she waits with anticipation for, that her son would be the one who reveals our hearts. And that sure is a promise fulfilled. Jesus does indeed reveal our hearts. Christ reveals our heart in one simple way, he exposes what you and I believe will save us. See, Jesus comes to us and he says, look, you have a choice. You can serve me or you can serve anything else. He exposes that which we have been trusting in, what our kava has been in to save us. I mean, take a look at your life. What do you believe will save you? What are you waiting for to save you? Do you believe your money is gonna save you? Do you believe your doctor is going to save you? Is your retirement plan going to save you? Is that emotional or romantic relationship going to save you? Is your children turning out well? Is that going to save you? Is the waiting for the change of a calendar year, 2021, going to save you? None of those things save. And so if you're waiting for one of those things to save you, can I submit to you, you're looking in the wrong place. That's not a promise of God. Jesus says to us, take that one thing you're waiting for to save you, get rid of it, and come wait with me, and come follow me. Are you anticipating Christ? Are you waiting on God like Simeon was waiting? That was Simeon's one role in the Christmas story. He's a witness to the truth of who Jesus is. Simeon was the first witness, and back in the book of Deuteronomy, there is this idea of truth being established or confirmed on the testimony of two or three or more witnesses. So our text needs another witness, and so we find it next in scripture, and it finishes with us meeting our second witness, Anna. Now I want to pause for just a moment and point out something that I think is vitally important against the backdrop of this culture. 
I believe Anna's presence in this text, providing a prophetic affirmation over the the Christ child and, and being, in essence, one of the first missionaries of the gospel, which you'll see in a moment, predisposes and previews this picture of Jesus as someone who more than any other person in history elevates women to the proper place that God intended. Realize that in this society and in many societies around the world, even to this day, women are marginalized. But Jesus demonstrates that this is not the case in the eyes of God. So isn't it appropriate that his, in his infancy, Jesus has a baby, that there is a woman that prophesies over him. Let's look at this verse 36. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe Asher. Okay, pause. What does that mean? Why is that important? Asher? Now, I, I can imagine that as you read that, like I read it the first time, we miss some significance. I know that when I looked at it, I didn't see until I did a little research. And so Anna is from the tribe of Asher. Okay, let's look back to Genesis 29 and 30. You'll see that Jacob's wife, Leah, is happy at the birth of Asher. So she names him accordingly. Asher means happy. And so here's a little history because I want you to understand this. Get the full picture. Asher is one of the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom. Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 tribes, and then of Judah, two tribes in the south. And Israel, according to Genesis, quickly falls into idolatry, and as a result, they are judged by the Lord and taken into captivity. But right before that takes place, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, we can learn that the king of Judah, that southern, that southern tribe, uh, king Hezekiah, sends out a decree to the people of Israel that says, if you will return to the Lord, you will find comfort. Okay, so well, most of Israelites, they don't listen to King Hezekiah. But some men of Asher humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. They came back. Luke is telling us in this scripture that Anna comes from a line of people who are humbly and happily waiting on the Lord. They're anticipating the coming of the Messiah, looking for his comfort. So let's continue. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Now in those days, a woman was betrothed to a man generally between the age of 12 and 16, and so by the time she lived with her husband for seven years, it's a safe bet to say that she was in her 20s, and that's when her husband died. And so this woman remained a widow until the age of 84. What did she do during those years? Well, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day, This woman was a woman of devotion. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, okay, so Mary and Joseph have just had this interaction with Simeon. Now here's Anna. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She goes, "This, this is the one from the tribe of Asher. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one I've been anticipating And she becomes, in essence, the first evangelist we see. What you've got to see there is that God wanted Anna to see the Messiah. He wanted her to see, and he wanted her to know that the Redeemer had arrived. Everything that she had been anticipating was fulfilled. Her wait was over. He wanted Anna to know, and he wants you to know 
That's why the book of Luke was written, that you may know that Jesus is who he says he is, that you would know that he's your redeemer, your comforter, the promised one for you. That the year 2021 is not your redeemer. Stop anticipating it, expecting it to make everything better. The year 2021 is not what's going to get you through and comfort you. Jesus Christ is the promised one for you. As I prepared to preach this week, I kept asking myself one question, why them? Why Simeon and Anna? Because the silence of the other characters in this story is kinda deafening. What I mean by that is that we don't hear anything in this story, according to scripture, about the temple priests. There's nothing in this story about the Sadducees or the Pharisees or any of the other people that would have been there. None of the other people dedicating their children. It's almost as if everyone else was oblivious to the fact that Jesus had arrived. The only people who saw Jesus for who he is are Simeon and Anna, which brings me back to the question, why them? I think the answer is right in front of us. It's right there. Simeon and Anna see Jesus because they're anticipating him. They're waiting for him. They're looking for him. They've been longing for this moment, for God to break forth into redemptive history, and they're satisfied. They're overjoyed. Don't go into 2021 with your hope and your circumstances you can't control. It, it won't satisfy you anyway. Go into 2021 anticipating, looking for what God is up to. Here's the key number three for waiting on God to find the thing you're looking for, the satisfied life, probably the one I want you to get the most. Look for, anticipate what God is up to. Don't let 2021 become an idol for you. You should be looking for and anticipating that God is up to something and he wants you to be a part of it. Simeon and Anna, they were on the lookout. So be on the lookout for those promises he's made to you. Simeon wasn't just sitting back and mindlessly waiting for that one day he'd see the Messiah. He was constantly looking for it. And he was always believing. And eventually the day came and he was ready. His anticipation led him to be a part of what God was up to. Anna, she rejoiced when she met Jesus. She was looking for him. Simeon and Anna were waiting and believing, waiting and believing, waiting and believing. They had two things that you and I really need, belief and anticipation. Belief that Jesus is who he says he is and that he keeps his promises and anticipation that they would get to be a part of what God is up to. See, we have a choice in life as we struggle with our circumstances, as things don't go our way, how 2020 did not go the way we wanted, how we're dealing with disappointment after disappointment, you and I have a choice. You can either get bitter or you can get better. You and I can either believe and anticipate or not. The picture of Anna and Simeon are two people that through their waiting, through their kavah, got better. They became the fullness of who God created them to be. Is that worth the wait? Yeah, it is. So true breakthrough, the 
The breakthrough that you and I want comes when we trust in Christ, when we anticipate Christ, when we kavah for Christ in any, all circumstances. That's breakthrough. But that comes when we wait. And waiting isn't, and waiting is the hard way of getting it. It's not what we want, but it's what we need. We can't rush this process. We live in a, a, a microwave society, let's be honest. We want everything right now. Now, 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 now. And that's not the way faith works. Faith works by taking time, and it takes waiting. See that type of breakthrough? The one that's not based on circumstances? The one that you and I need more than anything else is found in waiting on the same God who Simeon and Anna were anticipating and looking for. The same God that can bring the satisfied life for you. There's no secret sauce. There's no word that any pastor or youth pastor can give you that's going to change your life. What is going to change your life is being reminded of the gospel. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther says this, any act of sin or rebellion is a forgetting of the gospel. We come back to this place where we see God who loved us so much that he stepped out of the splendor of heaven and comes to earth and takes on humanity and lives the perfect life, the life that you and I can never live, and dies a sinner's death, a death that you and I deserve. Rises again to declare that hell's doors are eternally closed to any and all who would trust him for salvation. Is that worth the wait? Yes, it is. I look forward to bidding 2020 goodbye, don't you? This was a tough year for so many reasons. We've been through the ringer this year, probably more than we ever have been before. And I truly do want you to find what you're looking for, the satisfied life. So I want to close today with an invitation for you to hear these words. Number one, don't covet the future. Number two, believe that God fulfills his promises. And three, anticipate, look for what God is up to so that you can be a part of it. Church, my prayer for you this morning for 2021 and beyond is that you would live with a whole heart for the one that gave himself wholly for you. There's no secret thing that's going to make your life better. The secret is out. Simeon and Anna, they they knew it. And I want you to know it and live it too. The satisfied life comes to those who wait, who kavah with God.